Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage. I'm here to give you a front row seat to the industry's most exciting awards races. Who is in the running? What makes awards-worthy film and television? How can you, listener, win a statue of your own? We're sitting down with actors to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I believe that there is nothing more important for an actor than courage. Mm. You have to be fearless. Mm. The principal of my school said to me the most important thing that was ever said to me, you will never achieve success by ensuring against failure. So we can do the thing like he has just left and we're super excited yeah. by the whole thing, <laughs> which is true. I like I like that. We're starting from just then, what you just said. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we're starting now. Am I Welcome, ruining listeners. The, <laughs> I'm ruining the illusion. Patrick Stewart was just here. Oh. That was so great. Wasn't that? was good, right? Uh, I was sat transfixed to the other side of the glass, <sighs> good, good. just like, not in a creepy way, maybe in a slightly creepy way, just <laughs> transfixed, just staring. I was just so absorbed. You know, I got a That's short good. attention span for a lot of things. So uh-huh. if something really captures my attention, it's, it's you know. There's just so much to talk about. We, this is a, as far as past interviews goes, it's relatively brief. I, I We felt bad because we wanted to get Patrick on his way because he's a little under the weather. Ni- neither of us are 100% yeah, at the moment. Right. But... Obviously, he has wisdom to spare. Well, his rep contacted me before we come came in, and oh, he uh-huh. said Patrick's feeling really, really ill. Um, uh-huh. Can we keep it short? And I was like, absolutely. And I was expecting. I thought he was going to bail. Yeah, I, and I thought he was just going to be under the weather, and you know. Mm-hmm. But he turned up, and he was Patrick Stewart. He was really being charming. Patrick Stewart. So, and yeah, charming. just lovely and and magnetic. There's something very warm and welcoming, and definitely. And obviously, he's a brilliant just speaker and listener in his voice if you're a fan of patrick stewart yes. don't be worried about meeting him because he will live up to your expectations <laughs> you know i i was very worried about sh- yes him not living up and he's and were such you a nice a, guy you are you a star trek and x-men fan both well yes yeah for a start i would yeah. watch star trek on a wednesday at six o'clock while uh-huh. I was having my dinner <laughs> i didn't know it ran for seven years and there were so many episodes per season that it's it's a huge yeah yeah. A huge phenomenon, and it's an we had the, we touched on this, but I'm very fascinated in the idea of like sh- classical training, Shakespeare acting on the stage, um, yeah. England, and then like Hollywood and like lowbrow quote unquote and like sci-fi and TV. Yeah. TV sort of still to this day has a little bit of a stigma too, and so Patrick Stewart is the rare example of both, and it's almost like he's proven to both sides that. Both sides are okay, yeah. and also that he's that he, um, as I as I asked him about, they are similar. You can by playing a Shakespearean king, you're you're you are readying yourself to play Captain Jean Luc Picard on yeah. the Enterprise. When he explained that about the company, you know, being similar, it makes perfect sense. Yes, the um, the fact that he, for decades, ever since this, you know, since the '60s, he's been working on stage, and a lot of that was company work and rep doing plays in repertory, especially with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And so a lot of that is like bonding with the director and with the cast very, very intimately and then working with them for a year or years. Yeah. And I was interested to learn that that's, that was also true for Star Trek Next Generation in a yeah. way. Where like you then bond with these people and you sign up for something you don't know is going to run for seven years and become a huge pop culture moment. Yeah. 
And same for X-Men films. Yeah. Like, that's actually very similar. When you sign on to a giant film franchise, you've, you're going to bond with Hugh Jackman and with the other people and star in films with them for years. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear that uh, Hugh Jackman is improvisational. Yeah. Is that the um, right, that is interesting. And that you all develop that relationship yeah. and be able to play off each other. And yeah. uh, the, you think of a film, particularly a sci-fi mm-hmm. franchise, mm-hmm. which everything has to be just so locked down because there's so much exactly. technology yep. you know, in, involved in the process. Mm-hmm. But even within that world, there was some you know, yeah. free-flowing Well, and nature. it sounds like maybe what you're saying is, because we also talked about Logan, and we yeah. were mostly here to talk about Logan, which yeah. is his performance that came out, I think it came out in March of last year, and it's Hugh Jackman and, and uh, Patrick in their last roles as Wolverine and Professor Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you're saying about the giant spectacle, big-budget superhero thing, it doesn't apply to Logan. That's true. Logan. Definitely unexpectedly was a drama first and foremost, a really kind of bleak one at times, but also one about family. And like, it wasn't afraid to be really beautiful and and heart-wrenching. I was extremely surprised when I watched Logan because I didn't know much about it before I watched it. I Mm -hmm. wasn't really, you know, keeping up with a lot of the hype. it was just another, the next X-Men movie. I saw Wolverine and then Logan comes out. Even the look of the movie is completely different. Yeah. yeah. It's a Western. It's a little bit of a Western. It yeah. feels like a road trip movie at times. It's like, and it's about aging also, I think. Very intimate, you Very know, intimate. not just because yeah. they're in a car for a lot of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it really has that intimate, personal, mm-hmm. interpersonal thing going. And yeah. and it's it's sort of unflinching. I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but yeah. it's unflinching in a lot of its yeah. storyline, which I think is refreshing. Totally. Yeah, it's a very almost unexpected but also fitting direction to go in for your last like reprising yeah. of, the, of the role, I think. Yeah. Anyway, um, I can't wait for listeners to hear this interview. Should we get to it? I think so. Let's do it. Patrick Stewart is a multiple Olivier, Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG-nominated actor best known for playing Captain Jean-Luc Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation and Professor Charles Xavier in the X-Men film franchise. 20th Century Fox's Logan, from writer-director James Mangold, stars Patrick opposite Hugh Jackman in their final portrayals of their beloved X-Men characters. Born in England where he studied classical acting and performed as a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, he was knighted in 2010 by Queen Elizabeth II for services to drama. Here it is, our interview with Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, sorry, I was waiting for someone got a mic. No, no, so we're going to do it. Oh, you're going to do it? Uh, yeah. A boom? What's that? I know, it's classic. <laughs> wow, I am so sick of being mic'd. mic'd. <laughs> right? I mean, it's really annoying. Yeah, I. Nobody ever mic'd you unless for extreme reasons mm. they had to do it now. Mm-hmm. And you play scene mic'd. with actors and you can't hear what they're saying. Cause they're talking yeah. this uh-huh. It's true. So, I had to wear a he- earpieces <laughs> to play a scene with an actor the other day. Really? Because I couldn't hear my no cues. one has the, oh, could I go yeah, closer? Um, no one has the stage training, maybe, the film actors. Well, th- th- they don't, no, very often. But I don't think it's that. I think it's that there is become a fashion. Thank you. 
to uh, yeah. I I go to movies and I can't understand what people are saying. Yeah, yeah. Though the main reason for that is background noise, ambient sound. Mm. Well, we are, as you know, we are backstage, and so we are always welcoming the acting advice. And it sounds like uh, speak up is a good practical piece of. Uh, it, it's naturally not so much volume; it's clarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's precision. I should, have done, my, I should have done my vocal. I um, I watched uh, uh, that Morgan Freeman, uh, Tim, uh, you know the prison one, Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption yes. the other night, mm-hmm. and given you know there were strong accents and there was mm-hmm. a lot of yelling and outside, I heard every word yeah. both of them said all the way through the movie. Yeah. Not once did I have to say what did what did he say. Morgan Freeman, he's got a great voice too. Oh, I, Morgan I, has a wonderful I mean, voice. <laughs> yeah, as far as um, iconic voices go, I, I'm <clears throat> we're very honored to have you here on the podcast. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm delighted. My voice doesn't sound great at the moment because I've got this really blocked head. You and sound, cold fu- you and sound all fine that. to me. But at least I stopped. I was half an hour ago. I couldn't stop coughing, but oh, okay. that, luckily that seems to have passed. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I would love to ask, um, I'd love to get to Logan, obviously. Yeah, good. Um, but looking at your, your life and your career, and you, I, I would love to hear so much about Royal Shakespeare Company, and I wanted to almost ask, what to you, being an expert in both, what is the relationship to you between Shakespeare and sci-fi? And are they related? And can you learn mm-hmm. how to do one from the other? Sure, yes. It, it's true that in a lot of... Uh, science fiction and fantasy movies mm. um, and superhero movies that you'll find there are always in the cast a lot of actors who've got stage backgrounds mm. and sometimes classical backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just now mentioning Mark Rylance. He is, mm-hmm. he is one of them. Um, and very soon after I started working on Star Trek, mm-hmm. I... Actually, what happened, what put it in my mind was that uh, when I was doing press for the uh, for the first season, and uh, I'd already got used to the idea that the new the Los Angeles Times had called me unknown British Shakespearean <laughs> actor Patrick Stewart, um, and I got used to that. Yeah, uh, and and then in all the interviews I was doing, there was one question that would come up every time, asked in different ways, Mm -hmm. but it was always mm, with the same intention. Aren't you slubbing coming in and doing a (laughs) science fiction syndicated television show when your life has been with the Royal Shakespeare Company? Uh And finally, during one interview, I got so sick of being asked this, I thought it was really impertinent. Um, And I said, listen, all those years of sitting in the thrones of England and Mm. being a powerful king or a dictator or whatever was nothing but a preparation for sitting in the captain's chair of the Enterprise. Ah, Uh, And and then I reflected on that going home that evening uh, because I was angry. I was pissed off about these questions. And I thought it it might be true. And and why is it true? Well, Uh, except for Logan, uh, mm. usually these movies are not like life. Ah, They're see. not real. Cool. Yeah. 
there is a heightened quality about them. And not just the way you speak, Mm -hmm. but the way you stand and present yourself. And and performances have got that slightly larger than life feeling about Mm -hmm. them. And that's exactly what it feels like when you're acting Shakespeare on stage. The language is heightened. I mean, I can recognize Star Trek dialogue a mile away because it sounds like Star Trek dialogue. (laughs) And Mm. uh, so, Hmm. in fact, I think a lot of those those years, speaking blank verse on stage, playing kings and princes and tyrants, Hmm. was a, a sort of preparation for things like Star Trek Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Mm X-Men. But then uh, rather awkwardly turning the conversation back to Logan, one of the joys of making this movie was that in fact, although yes, we were mutant superheroes, Mm -hmm. uh, it was about real people whose problems were no longer Um, there is a force out there that is trying to destroy all of us. Right, right. It was simply, how do we get through the next 24 hours? Yeah, survival. You know, yeah. Survival, yeah. yeah. There are people looking for us, and we've got to eat, and we've got to clothe mm-hmm. ourselves, and we've got to move to another part of, of mm-hmm. North America. And mm-hmm. uh, this was most marvelously illustrated by James and Scott's script mm-hmm. and by the direction in the scene in the middle of the movie when we're at the farmhouse mm. and it's a dinner party. Oh, and it's just lovely and everything's just beautiful and... and yes, it's it's a scene... It does that, not feel like an X-Men movie by any Not means. at all, <laughs> no. It was just nice people sitting around a table yeah. having a plain, simple dinner mm. and talking about the things that people talk about. Mm. Um, and and the, the first scene in the movie that I had with Hugh, it was a seven, eight-minute scene. And mm-hmm. and uh, that that uh, there was nothing superheroish about it at all. <laughs> it was about how are we gonna hold on mm. and make it through the night, make it through the day. And uh, it it was a bold experiment. Yeah, um, I think so. On James's part to make a film of this kind, because there is a sort of formula now to so much. Good versus Science evil. fiction. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, where uh, there's, um, there is this slight artificiality mm. about it. Very slight. I'm not saying I don't believe, but it, it, has, sure. it has this heightened quality. Yeah, the heightened, it was, that's the quality that's, that's almost missing from Logan, in a way. There are and, scenes with, <clears throat> with Xavier's mind powers going off that are... Yeah. You know, and there's action scenes, but it all feels chiefly a drama and secondarily a. a it's about um, narrative and character, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. largely. Yeah. And uh, it was very satisfying to all of us, Hugh and James, and the wonderful Daphne Keene, who yes. plays Laura. She's remarkable. She is extraordinary. Yeah. That uh, that people responded very well to it. Yes, indeed. I mean, I want, I want to ask about that first scene that you're filming with Hugh because the two of you have filmed so many movies together doing these two characters. And was that transition to this style and to this story, was that jarring when you're on set for the first day and, there, and there's no super heroic spectacle? <laughs> no, it was not at all. Um, f- for one thing, Hugh had been working with James on the script 
a great uh-huh. deal for quite a long time before I had a script in my hands. And um, I had spent two long conversations with James when we talked about this different Charles Xavier and mm. how we should approach him and how far could we go. And mm. I, my feeling had been, I think we can go as far as as, as we want mm. in in this unstable, vulnerable, fragile, mm-hmm. crazy, dangerous mm-hmm. state that he is in, unable to control the power of his mind, which in the past had always been used uh, for the benefit of mm. society. Mm-hmm. And now it's a weapon yeah. to be used indiscriminately. And uh, I had, <laughs> the first time I saw the set, I was very <laughs> impressed by the the, mm. the mess that it was, the sure. chaos after the time that I'd spent in the gleaming uh, Xavier's halls, School right. for Gifted Children. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so we were, both of us, very prepared. And because Hugh and I had done so much work together, mm. and, and we both... Uh, big fans of Jim. We trusted him mm-hmm. and the direction that he was leading us in. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hugh is an actor who likes to improvise. He likes to throw things mm. in that are not there in the script. And I, I, I was very comfortable with that. So, and and you can't deny the intimacy of a 16-year relationship. Yeah, sure. uh, I was on the set that day when Hugh came up to Toronto to do uh, an audition oh. to be put on camera really? for the role because <laughs> we had lost our what? original. Uh huh. He was the yeah, not and, the uh, first pick by any means. No, he was not. Yeah. And uh, I do remember him. This is so typical of Hugh uh, coming from the uh, the audition that he'd done, and he leaned over and he said to me, "Well, you guys are never going to see me again." <laughs> he said. <laughs> Uh, wow. Oh, my, was he wrong. Yeah, really? <clears throat> so uh, uh, there is, uh, I've, I've always been a company actor. I've always been mm. drawn to the idea of ensemble work. Yeah, cool. And that's how my, that's how the first 20 years of my life was. I was working mm-hmm. in companies in regional theater where we, it was one group of actors employed for the whole season. Mm-hmm. And then when finally my dream came true and I, I was accepted into the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm -hmm. I didn't move from that company for nearly 12 years because I was getting to do great plays, masterpieces. Mm -hmm. Every time we started to work on a new play, it was a masterpiece Mm -hmm. with the best directors in England and also some of the most intellectually uh, uh, sophisticated minds Mm -hmm. in British theater. So I was getting everything that I needed out of the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I loved, you know, on matinee days, we were two two different plays in the oh, same wow. day. Yeah. And yeah. yet we were doing it with the same group of actors. Mm. And so you build a, a confidence in one another. Yeah. Most importantly, you build a trust in yes. one another. And as I said about Hugh, you can experiment. Mm-hmm. You're in an environment where trying something new, trying something different is encouraged and fostered rather mm. than looked on suspiciously. Interesting. Interesting. I hadn't thought of the fact that X-Men and Star Trek both are, they are essentially companies of actors. They are, by signing onto a franchise, you are almost doing the same thing. It's just the 
on-screen version of that, where you build your own community of actors who move on from one project to the next in the same roles. Absolutely. Um, the first three movies, at least, we were the same mm -hmm. cast with, with guest actors coming in from mm -hmm. time to time. <clears throat> Brian Cox, Alan Cumming came in right. to do different mm -hmm. movies. But it was the same group of eight or ten yeah. wonderful actors and beautiful people that we were working with every day and we liked one another we all got on very well and <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, for me how work ought to be sure yeah i i had i did not know that you were in that uh iconic production of midsummer night's dream uh peter brook peter brook yeah uh who has written the books on acting and on directing. And, yes. Um, can you just, uh, the inner Shakespeare geek in me wants to know, like, <laughs> what was the highlight of that experience? Mm. Well, I had seen his work before ever I worked with him. And most notably, his King Lear that he directed with mm -hmm. the great Paul Schofield. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a style about what he did, which was, again, a little heightened, but rooted in naturalism mm. also. Um, but he is a director who believes passionately in the benefit of exercise and, and mm -hmm. um, uh, expanding the parameters in which an actor might work. You know, we, mm. we have certain uh, parameters, but he wants to push them wider and mm. wider and wider so the actor can take more and more risks. Mm. And risk-taking was very important to Peter. Mm. But in order to do that, he had to create a safe atmosphere mm. in which one could yes. take risks. Um, I was I, The first thing I ever did with him was a, a staged reading um, about the Nuremberg uh, war trials really? after the end of the Second World War. And then I was brought into his now legendary production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, mm -hmm. which became known as the White Box production, mm -hmm. because that's all the set was. There was a creamy white carpet on the floor, and there were three walls of plain white mm -hmm. with two doors uh, at the back of them and nothing else at all. Right. Um, and some very colorful costumes. Mm -hmm. And he he took a view of that play, um, which was very modern and very experimental, but always rooted in character and mm -hmm. and actors' objectives and needs and wants mm -hmm. were always the driving force. But working with Peter, Every day began with, in fact, very often, it was half the day. For the whole morning, we would do nothing but exercises. Oh, really? And huh. these were, in fact, there were times when I do remember going home and saying to my wife one night, you know, I think I'm enjoying the exercises more than rehearsing oh. the play. <laughs> because they were wonderful, elaborate games that yeah. we would play, all mm. intended to loosen the actor up, right. to free him from either the fears or the other constraints mm. that had limited mm. his ability to express himself. Mm -hmm. That's all that it was about. Um, mm. Later on, I was to do another Shakespeare play with him. He directed Antony and Cleopatra mm -hmm. um, with Alan Howard and Glenda Jackson in the two leading roles. Um, and I played Ina Barbas, Antony's friend. Mm. 
and one day we we did three weeks of uh, experimentation before wow. we said a line of dialogue. Oh wow! <laughs> Morning <laughs> and afternoon was exercises, wow. exercises. Wonderful time we had. We were in the parish church hall in Stratford on Avon doing all this work, and then we went in um, one Saturday morning at the end of the week, and he said, uh, "All right, so we're going to do something a little different this morning. Um, we're going to run the play." Oh, without run any run the play. <laughs> we haven't said a word of dialogue yet, and all we've just, done is exercises. Just to see what happens. And uh, he said uh, there was already laid out on the floor. There was a carpet on the floor, a kind of old Persian rug. And uh-huh. he said, when you're on the carpet, you're on stage. When you're off the carpet, you're not on the That's stage. That's the only rule. There are all these cushions scattered around. You do with them whatever you like. No furniture, no props, <laughs> nothing else at all. And there wow. were only five of us oh, okay. who had spent that. those um, three weeks together uh-huh. because the whole company, the, the company eventually was over 30 people, oh, but I they see. hadn't arrived yet. And he said, play your own roles, but when a role comes up and the actor isn't here to play it, <laughs> any of you, don't, you don't have to negotiate, just take it over <laughs> and do it wonderful. Like that. That's wonderful. And again, I went home after that extraordinary morning and I said to my wife, I know how we're going to do the play. Oh. There are five of us, maybe six of us, and there's only cushions and a rug, <laughs> and it's going to be incredible. Well, it <laughs> didn't quite end up like that. Sure. But, but he gave us the feeling that day, yes, why mm. shouldn't five good and yes. and in-condition mm. actors do Anthony and Cleopatra yeah. and make who, who it convincing? Each other. Yeah, and who have worked together. Yes, that's, I that's think right. that's the only way to do texts that that are 400 years old. Like you have to reassess them. You have to kind of boil them down and then build them back up again or something. You have to mm-hmm. have to figure out. I love the idea of of working at it from the objectives and from the intentions of each character that's and treating right. them all like characters because there's a new development that has happened during my association because my association with the Royal Shakespeare Company continues. Mm-hmm. I'm I hope to be working with them in 2020 again. Mm, okay. Um and I, I, I love this approach to the work. Not every director uses it, but most of them do now, which is we begin with table work. Now, yes, I've sat around a table and read the sure. play, and then as soon as we've read it, we get up and we start blocking it, putting it on its feet. Uh-huh. Now it's different. Um, the whole company will sit around a table with the director and the designer and the composer, if he's there, mm. and we start reading the play. You never. The only rule is you never read the character that you're going to actually play. Oh. But you can read any. So you read literally around the table I as see. a character comes. The next oh, person. So you can have the leading actor playing uh, a sentry, or, the, or you can have line. an actor who maybe hasn't even got any dialogue at all playing the leading role. Gotcha. And the the principle, at least when I'm talking about this, I think of the artistic director now of the mm. Royal Shakespeare Company, Greg Doran. And the rule with Greg was, we do not move on from any line in this play or turn a page mm. until we all of us believe that we understand, understand what it means. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we move That's on. That's pretty crucial. And anyone can say, please, can we stop? Because I don't know what's going on right. here. What is what this about? What does that about? word mean? Yeah. And uh, that means that this table work can now last for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> 
That sounds painful. You know, hours and hours <laughs> will go by while we discuss a soliloquy uh-huh. that someone might have. And again, it is a process which is uniting a group. Yes. Yes, somebody who might just be out of drama school and somebody who's got 40 years of acting Shakespeare behind them. Um, And it creates this world of ensemble which is very rich Mm. and expressive and interconnected, always interconnected. That's largely a lot of what Peter Brooks' exercises Mm. would lead us towards, of connecting mm. with one another, sometimes in quite complex ways. How do you connect with some? You mentioned that you liked everyone on the, on, in the X-Men series. Like, what happens when you are in a company with someone or you're cast in a play with someone for two months and you don't get along with them or you don't have the same style or there's something not clicking? Do you work together on that interconnectedness until it does click? I have known that. Yes. <clears throat> and it's always sad Mm -hmm. and when you find out that there is nothing to be done about this uncomfortable situation it it Mm -hmm. is difficult Um, one of the ways that I found of dealing with this is to channel the discomfort that I feel into the performance mm -hmm. and make it a part of the relationship I did a production once of Julius Caesar when I was Cassius Mm -hmm. and the actor may he rest in peace because he's gone Mm -hmm. was playing Brutus actually the director had rather perversely cast us I think the wrong way around I should have been playing Uh I'm a natural Brutus and this other actor was a very natural Cassius (laughs) but as it turned out he was playing Brutus as if he was playing Cassius and so that made life a little complex (laughs) for me and um And he was a very self-absorbed person. Uh But all of the frustration that I felt, and at times mm, something much stronger than frustration, (laughs) I channeled into the play Mm. that people would come and see the production and comment on the intensity Mm. of the relationship that we had. Well, when you're working with an actor who is, I mean, I'm not now talking about like improvising with Hugh Jackman, but who Mm -hmm. for his own benefit changes and um, alters things, Ah. the the, the fury that that can build up in you. Sure. (coughs) It makes it very, very intense. Um, It's, it's, It's not a happy state of affairs, but the great thing about working with directors like Greg and Peter Brook and Trevor Nunn is that they do everything in their power to make sure that that doesn't happen. But if it does happen, um, then you have to find a way of channeling those negative feelings into something creative. something, yeah. Channel it into one of your character's motivations or objectives or... Mm -hmm. Maybe even the background of the character, mm-hmm. or some in such. this particular production, mm-hmm. uh, one of the directions that I'd had that I gave myself for Cassius mm-hmm. was before we began working was that he was actually in love with Brutus. Oh. So I made myself Lovely. passionately in love with this man who was in fact driving me crazy, and oh, and wow. and it, it it all worked because yeah. all you get is the intensity then, and um, it it. <laughs> It uh, people occasionally. Well, I will see them, and they say, "Oh, I saw that Julius Caesar that you did, and uh, oh, those scenes with the two of you were electric." I don't There's tell them going on, why right. they were electric. Oh, interesting. It, it, you know, it. There is always a way to create something significant, 
out of what is going on, it seems to me. And it's just a matter of coming up with something creative, like channeling frustration into love. Yes. <laughs> Such an yes. interesting choice. Um, may I ask you about Ian McKellen, your, your dear friend? You who, may. Um, I saw you both on stage in Waiting for Godot here on Broadway. And um, I was curious to, I had not known that you did not know him before X-Men. Ba- or you barely had known him. Uh, barely, yes. Um, our <clears throat> friendship, which is indeed now a great friendship, and I shall be seeing him on Friday night when I'm back in London uh, at a party. And in fact, uh, I'd been invited to this party, and uh, I, I emailed him and I said, please tell me that you're coming, because if you're not coming, I'm not going to go. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he'll be there. Uh, My friendship with him started as fan worship. Okay. Um, Ian was was identified as a remarkable actor while he was still at university. He was at Cambridge, and Mm. he had attracted critical attention from London. Mm. I saw him when he came into the profession quite early on. Laurence Olivier brought him into the National Theatre Company, Mm. and I saw him play a wonderful Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing. Mm. Um, it was original, it was passionate, it was witty, it was colorful, but he was also such a gorgeous-looking person as well. I was <laughs> yes. profoundly envious of every aspect, <laughs> especially the good looks, because by then I'd already lost all my hair oh. and was rather kind of well, gloomy rather about traumatic. that. Yeah, <clears throat> yes. But then uh, we did do a play together. We were both in the Royal Shakespeare Company at the same time. Right. Um, I was so shy of him that I kept out of his way. <laughs> um, I would occasionally say, good morning, good morning. Oh, wow. and, and that was all. And then we were cast in a new Tom Stoppard play that we did called Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, in which I played a doctor in a, an insane asylum. Mm. And he was um, not a patient, but he was a a Democrat who wanted a different kind of world in Russia. And that Mm. was what, at that time, the Russians were doing. They put these people into lunatic asylums with mad people because they thought they were just mad. Um, And that was a kind of punishment for them. Uh, I had a couple of scenes with Ian and enjoyed them immensely. And to my delight, found that he was so uh, open and free and easy to work with. But it was X-Men that brought us together. Oh, we had adjoining trailers, luxury trailers, thank you very much, 20th <laughs> Century Fox. <laughs> and because with films like that, you spend much more time in the sitting in the trailer right. than in front of the camera. Wait, because of films like that or well, you know, films in general? Uh, no, 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 not films in general. Okay. Oh, good Lord, no, no. I, I did a movie in which I was on every page of the script. Mm. Um, a, a movie called Match about three years ago, and we filmed it in 15 days. Oh. Uh, and we, I mean, the camera was oh. just rolling all the time. <laughs> feature film. It was, it was, it was a feature film, oh, yes. Goodness. And um, uh, luckily it was all set in an apartment, in the same apartment, so it, uh-huh. it wasn't more complicated. But the, the, the setups and <clears throat> mm. preparation for shooting a scene can take very, very much longer mm. in, in movies like the X-Men movies or Star Trek. Um, So we Mm. got to hang out together and (laughs) little by little we found that we had a great deal in common. Sure. We're both Northerners. Uh He's a Lancastrian and I'm a Yorkist and uh, um, we we love the theater, we love Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Um, We like telling stories and jokes and anecdotes and and having fun. 
but I think more than anything else, we we found a, a mutual trust in one another. Mm. And uh, that was what led me into being invited to join him and our director, Sean Mathias, in ah. Waiting for Godot. Mm -hmm. And then um, my idea uh, that we should do Harold Pinter's great yes. play, no Man's Land, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which when we came here to New York, we did both of them. Right. Uh, with the same four <laughs> group of actors. Sure. Which I do think that more people should do the, the in rep. It's such a wonderful device that it's mm. not used often enough. Yes, it, it, it was marvelous. It was a lot of work, but we loved it because um, you could never get stale. No, right. And that's why repertory has always appealed to me. Yeah. I mean, sometimes at the end of a season with the Royal Shakespeare Company, there might be six productions in yeah. the repertoire. And wow. you may only get to do the play you love most twice a week. Interesting. But you're doing other things. And, fr and you know, the, the, as with our two plays in rep that we did on Broadway, mm -hmm. we did both plays on Wednesdays and Saturdays, mm -hmm. which were matinee days. Yeah. And so we would... The, the crew had to shift everything and yeah. change the whole set and that between afternoon. the matinee and the evening show. Yeah, you must have to transition too. Y y yes, yes, yeah. we, we did. But it meant that, and a lot of people did this, they came to see both plays on the same day. Yeah. And certainly yeah. if, I'd, if I'd been going to buy a ticket, that's what I would have wanted to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, we should ra I should get, let you go, but uh, we are backstage, so we're very much interested in any audition advice or really acting advice in general, uh, what is your number one piece of advice for the working actor today? When I'm talking with young actors, which I do from time to time, I, I am a professor of performing arts at a university in the UK, and I take master classes and workshops whenever I'm free. Mm. And usually when it's my last class and it's over, I will say to them, there is one thing that we haven't talked about much, but it is absolutely essential to all of you, and some of you are already well on that road towards this, but I believe that there is nothing more important for an actor than courage. Mm. You have to be fearless. Mm. When I was leaving drama school, the principal of my school said to me, the most important thing that was ever said to me, certainly in regard to performance. He said to me, Patrick, you will never achieve success by ensuring against failure. Ooh. And I thought I understood it. But you know, it mm. only took me about 35 years before <laughs> I fully understood what he meant. Mm. Um, you have to risk. You have to lose yourself. You have to trust that the sky will not fall on your mm. head if you do something which maybe unnerves you. Mm. I mean, for instance, I came from a slightly somewhat violent background as a child, mm -hmm. and violence I always had a problem with, anger on stage. So I got really good at faking it. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, I was always faking it. Mm. And then I worked with the director who said, you know, you can let it out, I know it's there, and mm. you'll be perfectly safe, nothing bad will happen to you, and that's true. Mm. So to be courageous, I think is the most important thing that a young actor certainly needs to uh, take on board. Auditioning, mm. um, I've been on both sides of the audition table mm -hmm. as a director and as someone to audition. Mm. I don't audition very often these days. <laughs> I, well, you know, I, 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 I just really thought, so. I just realized that, and I kind of miss it. <laughs> 
I used to enjoy auditioning, but I understood when I was on the director's side of the table that when you're sitting there with your assistant director and stage manager and mm -hmm. maybe the designer and an actor comes into the room or an actress, everyone behind that table mm -hmm. wants that person to be the best thing they have ever seen. Yes, yes. And we feel that about everyone who comes through the door because young actors feel, and I certainly felt it myself, mm. intimidated by the process and the feeling that they're not going to like me. They're, they're not, they're not going to want to see what I can do. Sure. They, 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 they'll be hostile and so No, I mean, I'm sure there are some nasty maybe, people who right. may be a little like that. But when you're auditioning, you want the next person to be wonderful mm. and to surprise you and astonish you and maybe frighten you a little bit and make <laughs> you laugh or, or induce in you some strong feeling. Mm. And if you can get that mindset when they say, yes, it's your turn mm -hmm. now, come on in, the mm. director's ready. If you can have that mindset, I am with people who want me to be good. Mm. So it is my responsibility to be good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, Sir Patrick Stewart. On Thank, the you. Envelope. <laughs> Thank you. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the industry's awards races. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast whiz, Jamie Muffet. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieMusicNYC. You can follow me, Jack Smart, on Twitter at JackSmartWrites. Thank you, of course, to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rappaport, Mark Stinson, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the astounding Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope. <laughs>